Welcome to the Religion and Popular Culture podcast, where we talk about religion, popular culture, and everything in between. I am your anthropomorologist. I can't get the hang of it. I'm sorry. I am an anthropologist of religion. <laughs> anthropomorologist. Uh, Vivian Asimos, and I am here with the sociologist with the mostiologist, Alid Thomas. Alid, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Vivian. I'm quite tired. We were recording in early December, and I think we're both feeling the the calm down. Yeah, we're, we're recording this the day before it comes out, which is we are, we <laughs> not are, so, normally what we do as no, well. So if you're listening to this on release day, hello from 24 hours ago, we are, <laughs> we are very tired. We're very tired. Yes, we're nearing the end of the year, nearing the end of our season, and I think uh, I think it's <laughs> it's definitely tiring <laughs> at a certain point. Um, but Ali, you're also looking a lot more spiffy today than normal because you're recording in your office. Yeah, which I, I'm, I'm, I'm used to you recording at home when you're wearing like pajamas. <laughs> yeah, I'm either wearing pajamas or like my I don't know my Sonic the Hedgehog t-shirts or whatever, but. Um, Today I'm trying to show some semblance of professionalism while wearing my my jumpers, <laughs> my shirt jumpers for any of our American listeners because I have an American friend, not you, Vivian, uh, who's who what? was once. You have m- other friends? Yeah, I don't. I don't speak to this person anywhere near as much as I speak to you. Don't worry, you are still my number one American friend. Um, but she was confused by the concept of a jumper. Um, because she said, well, I guess in America we would have a sweater. But isn't that just what Sean Connery calls a sweater? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess we would, I mean, we would just call it a sweater. I think I even call them just jumpers. I don't yeah. really They're differentiate. Great. They're great because they've got this little shirt collar, so it makes it look like I'm wearing a shirt, but I'm not. I'm actually just <laughs> wearing a t-shirt underneath my jumper, but it just looks so much more professional. It's it's yeah, also my traditional normally... conference attire. We just normally wear the shirt under the jumper because it's normally cold enough that you need to. Mm. It's too cold. But. It's too cold and it's too dark in the mornings and too dark in the evenings. But Christmas is around the corner and I do like me some Christmas. That's why we're going to talk about Twitter today. <laughs> yeah. Talk about the, the downfall of my favorite online platform. Yeah, we'll talk about Christmas next episode, which yes. I think we've still got to figure out what exactly we're going to be talking about, but um, we'll find something. We'll find something. Speaking but... of Christmas, oh. there is a really lovely, um, the new season of Cuphead. Has a, so I have seen something other than Pepsi, Where's My Jet? I've also oh. seen the new season of Cuphead. <laughs> and there's a really, really lovely Christmas special. There's two Christmas specials. There's one that's all about Cuphead and Mugman, and there's a second one all about the devil. And the one about the devil is brilliant. He's trying to get on Santa's nice list, which is obviously very difficult for him because he's the devil and he is at the very top of the naughty list in a really big font. And he kind of becomes Santa in this weird Santa Claus-esque turn of events. And and it's really just lovely. I I really reckon it's, it's surprisingly wholesome. So I recommend everybody... Check it out if they get the chance. As you know, I'm a big fan of Cuphead, the video game. So I've enjoyed the animated series. I have not seen any of it. It's a lot of love and care has gone into it because the animation is hand-drawn and so forth like it is in the games, but it's not quite as detailed as it is in the games. 
and some of the animation is a little bit more Looney Tunes at times, whereas in the video mm. game it's more Mickey Mouse, Steamboat Willie kind yeah. of thing. Um, but it's good fun. It's very quotable. Um, if you like really <laughs> daft quotes like I do. But uh, yeah, everybody go and check out the Cuphead show. But specifically that Christmas special, it's really rather lovely. So I I have not seen any Christmas specific things yet this year like shows or or anything like that well I unfortunately this year I lost Whamageddon on December the 2nd oh see I haven't left my house yet so Uh, (laughs) so I have successfully avoided things yeah that that was my that was my (laughs) error this year because it in I've won Whamageddon two years running 2020 was really helpful because uh, it was the lockdown. Yeah. And then last year, I was driving a lot and I had the radio on, but they would warn you beforehand if they were going to play Wham. So they'd say, oh, if, you, if you're playing Wham again, and you'll want to turn the volume down for three or four minutes. So I managed to win it two years in a row. But this year, I was um, walking out of Nando's, as you do. And there was a fun fair, a Christmas fun fair, and there was a merry-go-round. And apparently merry-go-rounds play pop music these days. And this merry-go-round was playing Last Christmas by Wham. So I was out of the game on the second day. Really frustrated, really disappointed. Because I, apparently <laughs> I take it much more seriously than I thought I did. I don't know. I've, it was just this weird sense of pride that I'd won it two years in a row. I was going to go for This is the year first year that I have heard of Whamageddon. Uh, so I I guess... Um, but I always in some way try to play it because I don't like Christmas music. <laughs> so you, I try to avoid all Christmas Wham's music. But what about Last Christmas? Are you, do you like Wham's Last Christmas? It, it, dude, it's Christmas music. It's all the same to me. It's, oh, but th- there's some Christmas music, which is great. I think I think what we are actually seeing here on a very on a very interesting sociological point, we are seeing an American British divide between us, because Christmas music and don't get me wrong, you've got your grumps in the UK, but Christmas music in the UK is like, it's an institution. So it is. A bit of a different thing, yeah. but people still really love Christmas music in the U.S. Mm. Like we had Mariah Carey. Yeah, you've got the big one. So but, you know, I mean, it, during compete the 19- with that. But, <laughs> but d- during the nineteen seventies, the U.K. had it, it was just kind of expected that all the major rock stars, pop stars, whatever, would release a Christmas hit. And we've kind of just stuck with those ones from the 70s and the 80s. There aren't that many new ones. Yeah, I know that there's... um, Because I I follow quite a few acapella groups because I'm a nerd. And um, I know that they tend to do really well around Christmas because they release a lot of Christmas music. And that's when they get most of their albums bought and stuff like that is the acapella Christmas music. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's in the U.S. as well. So there, it is, it is still there. It's a slightly different type of thing. Um, so but a lot of American talking. artists do release Christmas music. Um, like I think Ariana Grande just did one. 
I haven't listened to it because I don't care. <laughs> but I'm also a bit of a gr- uh, of a Grinch, and um, so you're, you're you're revealing a bit of an Ebenezer Scrooge. Side. We've we've talked a bit about this that I'm not like. I mean, I like Christmas. It's okay. But I think that there's a lot of social stressors around Christmas that really drive me bonkers. And it makes me hate everything about it rather than enjoying the small stuff. But I I just find it it's so there's so much social stress that you can't be sad. You can't be upset in any way. You can't be going through anything hard. Everything has to be happy and light. And it doesn't matter. You have to be happy. There has to be love. You have to be with family. Mm. And, and there's a lot of pressure with that, especially for people who are, you know, depressed or going mm. through things or don't mm. like their family or, mm. you know, <laughs> there's a lot of issues. And so, you know, it's why I like Halloween. There's no social stress around Halloween. No one's like, you have to have an amazingly happy Halloween. I, <laughs> no I one get, gives a shit. Yeah, but I get stressed at Halloween because I get kids knocking at my door and I always forget to buy sweets. Always. And the thing is, is if I did give them sweets now, I'd give them vegan sweets. So then you just don't answer the door, dude. <laughs> That's what um, I do whenever anyone knocks on my door at all. Yeah, but then I'd have to switch all the lights off and hide behind the sofa. <laughs> I can't bear this. Uh, I, no, I've actually taken to going out on Halloween for a few hours in the early evening so that I don't have the stress of youths at my door. Oh, yeah, that's when you go to, like, a Mexican restaurant and you have some nice, like, fancy cocktails and enjoy yourself. Go to a scary movie. Yeah, I was going to say how the other half live. Yeah. That's <laughs> what we, so we, we always do... do on Halloween every year is we go to a nice restaurant. We, we Not, we like, don't... a super fancy one because we don't have that much money, but... <laughs> we don't really do scary movies because my wife is of a nervous disposition. <laughs> like you know like coco yeah coco's I, a good halloween movie nightmare before christmas could be a good halloween movie and a well, christmas movie well nightmare before christmas is one of the best films ever made of course i've watched coco and please don't hate me i did i did enjoy it it's a good film but i felt that once was enough I loved Coco. We should we we could talk about Coco separately, yeah, but today we're not talking about, about Christmas or anything. <laughs> no, no. Today. You can tell that is this is this is nearing the end of the year when we're just rambling. Um, but we decided that we were going to do things a little bit more um, contemporary. That's not true. What am I trying to say? Um, a news. I'm a writer. Almost. It is kind of a news <laughs> story, isn't it? Current events. Yeah. Current events. Um. Yeah is Topical? the kind of what just what's going on with Twitter and we're going to talk about it because I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on from kind of a socio anthropological perspective mm-hmm. um and it's really fascinating to be kind of in the middle of it so when other things have happened like this online I haven't necessarily been as much a part of it I've kind of seen it happening from afar and heard people telling me about it, but I haven't been as active in the middle of it. So it's kind of fun to to be there as well. Um, so I guess for people, I don't know if anyone doesn't know what's going on, but do you want to summarize what is going on for those who are out of the loop and not on Twitter and not caring about what's happening over there? <laughs> well, so the, sh- 
the, the short version is is that Elon Musk, world's richest man, is he the world's richest man or is it Jeff Bezos? I I, I hear contested accounts. Who cares? That they're both obscenely rich and they shouldn't be, and. Um, Elon Musk bought Twitter as part of this weird ego trip that he's on about freedom of speech, um, particularly because people were laughing at him on Twitter and he's such a narcissistic baby that um, his solution was to buy Twitter. And there's been a whole host of consequences for this. There have been mass layoffs. There have been staff walking out in protest um, because part of his so-called mission in buying Twitter is bringing back what he describes as freedom of speech. Well, from where I'm sat, people were getting away with saying plenty of horrendous stuff on Twitter anyway before his uh, takeover. So I'm not sure exactly what he's alluding to there. Um, but there have been a couple of interesting instances in his uh, his tenure, which will hopefully be short-lived. Um, First is that he did a Twitter poll asking his followers if Donald Trump's Twitter account should be de-suspended. So reactivate Donald Trump's Twitter account. And I can't remember the exact percentage, but yes, one by a considerable margin, Donald Trump should get his Twitter account back. So that's what he did. He said the people have spoken, Twitter's a democracy, Trump's getting his Twitter account back. So Trump gets his Twitter account back. And Elon Musk, clearly just wanting a little bit of attention and praise or whatever, does this big tweet where he tags Donald Trump and says, hey, Donald, you're back on Twitter. Welcome back. And I think rather hilariously, Donald Trump hasn't actually tweeted (laughs) since getting his Twitter account back. He says he um, he says he doesn't want to. He says he's not interested in um, in tweeting and so on, and it's clearly bruised Elon Musk a little bit that he's done this, what he thought was going to be a huge gesture, because, you know, Trump loved Twitter. He was on that thing all the time. Um, So for him to not come back, that was quite amusing. And then he reactivated Kanye West's account, and I didn't realise that Kanye West had been suspended in the first place, but apparently he had. And um, within a couple of days of coming back on Twitter, Kanye West posted a picture of a swastika. Um, so now he's been banned again. So as we can see, Elon Musk is making really good decisions right now <laughs> in his running of Twitter. Um, and of course, there's been protests from Twitter users in a number of ways, which I think we're really going to dig into today. Um the issue of migrating to another social networking site. And I think we may have somewhat different feelings on on this, Vivian. Uh, well, I, from my perspective, it's just laziness. I, I've tried to migrate to other places, but I feel like I've settled on Twitter mm. because I've got a 13-year-old account. And I typically I hit 1,000 followers just like the day after Elon Musk bought the thing. And, you know, 1,000 followers, that's small potatoes. I know that. But 1,000 followers for somebody who mostly publishes on Scientology, that's not bad. 
you know, the, as you know, Scientology from an academic perspective as well. Thousand followers, that's not bad. I'm pretty pleased with that, you know. So now the thought of going over to Mastodon and so on, which I have done. I have got a Mastodon account, and there's another one as well, isn't there? Called. Um, I'm. I switched to Hive. Hive. That's it. I knew it was something to do with bees. It's- <laughs> <laughs> Which it isn't the most like SEO friendly because there's like hive of loads of other things. Um, however, I I do quite like it. I I've moved over, but I haven't really used it much. I don't have very many followers. I think I've got like two, maybe three, because I'm not like super on it. Um, and I only promoted it on a couple of my socials and then left it at that. Um, but I, I like Hive for a couple of reasons. It's basically just like a mashup between Instagram and Twitter. Well, so that, you, that sounds quite fun because those are my two favorite social media platforms. Yeah, and I, it, the, the layout is very Instagram-y. There's a lot mm. of images, but it's not necessarily only images. You can just put up um, posts, lots of hashtag within writing, kind of like Twitter you can at people. I mean, it just, it's one of those things. It's like somebody was like, Instagram and Twitter are great. Let's just make them the same. So that, I, that I quite good. like it so far. It's, but it's only uh, being worked on, unless they've hired more recently. But when people were first mass migrating oh. to them, only two people worked on that site. <laughs> So there yeah. was a bit of a rude awakening for them, um, mm. in a good way, I'm sure. But also, like you know, when you're not prepared, it can it can be a lot. Mm. Um, and I I am still sticking with them so far. They're they're going through some growing pains with everyone moving over to them all at once. But um, it's female led, and they lead with basically the anti. Uh, what people say freedom of speech is, which we can talk about that also if you want. Um, but the idea of you can just kind of say what you want, they really clamp down on hate speech and um, they're very pro um, being anti race pro anti-racism. I don't know if that's the best way of phrasing it. Um, but yeah, they're very anti-racist, anti-transphobic. Um, they highly support LGBT conversations and communities and they're female created and led. So it, it feels like kind of the anti-Twitter in, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So I don't know whether that'll change over the years, um, but that's at least how it is at the moment. Yeah. I'm, I'm finding it difficult because, as you know, Twitter is far and away my favorite social media platform. And well, that's because you're an academic, but yeah. Well, there's a number of reasons why I like it. One of the reasons I like it is that it's mostly text-based. I, you know, I, I like to scroll through on public transport or in bed while my wife's asleep. So I don't do TikTok because it's loud. And it's also full of young people yelling as well. Have you noticed that? <laughs> so many TikTok <laughs> videos are just young people yelling at their phones about various things. And, you know, more power to them, but it's just not convenient for me. And I also like to browse social media when I'm listening to music. So something silent is great. Um, and I like the brevity of it. I like the brevity of a tweet um, compared to lengthy Facebook posts and so on. And I feel like Facebook has kind of become something for the generation above us, mm. um, particularly like our parents' age. Um, Facebook's demographic seems to be in that area so um, 
it's not really the sort of content I go looking for online. Um, and yeah, I'd built up a nice set of followers and I, fo I already follow all the things I'm interested in and so on. I feel settled on Twitter. But of course, you know, I do have major reservations about Elon Musk and his buyout of Twitter. So I went and set up a Mastodon account. And Mastodon is quite interesting because have you set up one of these accounts? I, I have. I haven't spent a lot of time on it, um, but I set up a Mastodon and a Hive at the same time. Okay. Mastodon takes an age to set up because their servers are not able to handle all the people switching over to it. And the idea of Mastodon is essentially it's just Twitter in another place. Which is why Hive sounded quite nice because at least they've tried to go for a USP of it's like Instagram and Twitter at the same time. Whereas Mastodon is just it's Twitter, but it's less intuitive. Because right now it's slow. It's really slow. The process of setting up a Mastodon account with the servers isn't particularly great for people who are technologically illiterate. Mm. Um, so it's also just a yeah. bit confusing because it's always, it's kind of slatted as this is like a social media thing and it's kind of like Twitter, but then there's these different servers and you're going, well, but I don't, if my account is set up with one server and then I decide I don't like that server... Mm -hmm. I'm kind of stuck with it, which is a bit annoying. Yeah, so what happened with me when I set up my uh, account is I'd read online, don't worry about the servers, you can interact with everyone, just go for one. And in hindsight, I should have just gone with the nice Welsh one that I found. But I found one that just seemed like a basic, all you know, generic um, server which didn't seem to specialise in anything. And I thought, okay, I'll go for that. Um, so I did. Took me ages to sign it up because the server's so slow. And then when you log in, you've got to follow all these people all over again. And you start posting, and nobody's really following you. So to go from a decent Twitter following to that just feels like you're yelling into the void. And then I got a message from one of our lovely colleagues, um, letting me know that um, the server that I had registered my account with. And this has happened to several people because it just seems like a generic server that on the face of it is quite welcoming. It says, you know, be excellent to each other and stuff like that. It doesn't use the Bill and Ted quotes, but that's what they're trying to convey. But the server is perfectly willing to host transphobic posters and are willing to have transphobic posts on their server. And this is the problem with Mastodon is the whole point is that it's decentralized. That's the idea mm. of having these multiple servers. So I thought, well, of course, I don't want to be on this server. So I asked our lovely colleague, how do I um, switch my server? And she very helpfully sent me a link that had this huge guidance on how you do it. And it's really convoluted. You set up a different account and then you click merge and then it can take a few days. And, and I thought, well, I really just don't want to be on this server for a few days knowing that I'm part yeah. of that network. So I just thought, oh, you know what, to hell with it. I just deleted the account and set up another one. Because at this point, I was only following four people and I'd made one post. There's no point migrating that over, you know? So I've set one up now on the religion one um, for religious studies academics. And admittedly, I've not logged in since. Because it's just the, th it's just the thought of having to go in and 
follow everyone all over again. I know I sound really lazy right now, but... No, I mean, I, I get it. And I think there's a really interesting aspect of this that I, I find in general that social media is kind of like... Um, <laughs> this is going to make me sound like such a nerd. I really love organizing and organization. And the thing mm. about organization is when you're first setting up your system, it takes a long time and a lot of effort to eventually make it less time and less effort being put in. And that's kind of how social media is. It's like you have to put in a lot of effort at the beginning to then just mm. be able to easily go on and scroll through. Like, that's the whole thing with TikTok, right? Is that um, TikTok's algorithm is really great at figuring out what it is that you like. But it means that you have to go on TikTok and scroll through and tell it and teach it what you like and what you don't like you in order to, watch to make a lot sure of stuff that you're not yeah and it in. takes it takes time and effort but eventually it gets to the point where then you go on TikTok and everything that's presented to you is exactly what you like and oh. and the way that you like it and things like that um but it takes time and it takes effort and it's annoying at the beginning and that's where a large amount of people like yourself who start going on TikTok and go this isn't the kind of stuff that I like and then they turn it off Mm -hmm. um and to be fair i'm kind of in the mid of that where i've got about half of the stuff that i go on tiktok is the stuff that i like and about half isn't because i've spent some time on it but not enough time yet um but i know other people who are like oh yeah like i they'll send me things and it's like how did you even find this but it's because it it knows them that well yeah 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 and so i you know i think that it is one of those things that it is annoying to have to relearn everything and there i mean i'm luckily i don't have a job so so i was able to just sit i just sat on the couch one day put on a reality show and was like i'm gonna figure out what social media i'm going to mm -hmm. and i just I, I just spent time really looking at different ones and and i set up a mastodon and a hive um i'm on the social sciences server which i think is like sciences.social oh, or okay. social.sciences something like that um but i'm on that one and I haven't posted anything because I was looking at it and I was like, this just seems annoying. Yeah. <laughs> I can't, I can't be bothered. Um, Hive to me was, was easier to go to because of the fact that it was like, I recognize exactly how this works, exactly how you use it and exactly how to maneuver around it because it is essentially the similar, uh, similarity to the other ones. <laughs> so it, it made it easier and therefore it made it easier to maneuver around. But to be honest, I've just spent most of my time on Instagram. Um, I never really, I stopped using Twitter very slowly. I used Twitter a lot when I was still in academia um, because Twitter is, is for, like, that's where all the academics are. Um, it, they used to be all on Facebook and then they all moved to Twitter around the time that I was joining academia everyone was getting onto Twitter. Mm -hmm. And so you could kind of, everyone that I followed on Twitter was all academics. Everybody was academics on Twitter. There was like a couple of people that like more recently have followed me from like the other stuff that I'm doing now. But before that it was, it's all just academics. Um, but on Instagram, I don't follow any academics <laughs> and no academics follow me. And so it's, it's a very different vibe. And so when I saw all the migrations, what was interesting was figuring out where everybody was going to. Yeah. So I saw all the academics going to Mastodon. Yeah. 
And I saw the very few people that I follow that aren't academics were going on to Hive. Mm. And so it was a very difficult decision for me to think. I mean, that's why I made both to decide. But later I just went, why am I still following the academic track when that's not what I'm doing? So, so there is a certain amount of you kind of have to follow the waves of where everyone else is going, which is really fascinating. But also somebody had to make the decision to go there. Right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this is this is what I find really fascinating about the internet is it always reminds me of um uh or I think it's starlings are those birds that you see all like moving in like these waves of masses. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and they seem to kind of all go at once. And they all kind of go in these big clouds, but you see little bits break off here and there. But it's never just one bird that breaks off. It's always like quite a few that all move together. And then if they do break off, there's a big cloud of them that move off and then maybe come back together to the big group again and this kind of thing. That's how I imagine the Internet. (laughs) Mm. But at some point, one of those starlings decided to get up. And start flying. I mean, that's basically just religion as well, isn't it? Well, yes. <laughs> you know that thing that we do? <laughs> um, <laughs> that you do have... It's kind of reminding me of crossings and dwellings. Mm. So the idea that you are part of a collective and you are moving in a certain flow in different, you know, from place to place... And localise in certain areas as well. But then you may break off. And others may break off with you. Um, I, th- I think you are absolutely right. The academics are going to master them. And I think part of it is because it basically just does the same thing. It is just Twitter, but not on Twitter. And less intuitive and slower mm. and really frustrating this is why I, I just well we, we spoke briefly about this before we started recording Vivian and you were saying that you have experienced questionable content in your Twitter feed as suggested yeah. posts I said I haven't been on very much um, but even before everything was happening um, I'm sure people who follow me on Twitter will have recognised the fact that I don't even really promote a lot of this stuff anymore which is a shame but um but yeah, I, I was on um, and kind of scrolling through because I was debating on whether or not to post up um, some promos of stuff that I was doing. And as I was scrolling through, there were, you know, because it used to be where it would show you posts that you didn't specifically follow of people, but it was always like, oh, because Alan Thomas liked this post, therefore you would probably like this post type mm. of things. Mm. And it popped up like that. And it was a very transphobic post. And I was really taken aback because I was like, well, who of my people that I follow liked this because I'll unfollow them. (laughs) So Mm. I'm, you know, I need to know. But it didn't have that anybody liked it that I knew. It was just there. And it was like, but this isn't someone I follow. This wasn't somebody that other people liked. It just said suggested. And it was this transphobic post. And it was Mm. like, what of anything that I've ever done or interacted with on Twitter made them think that this was okay for me? Mm. And to me, that was the moment of like, oh, they're just probably trying to feed me things that go against the other stuff that I'm doing. 
Yeah. It's because, because, I mean, I follow loads of trans people, so I don't understand what yeah. this is like. Yes, because it's also probably a case of you've made videos and things in the past about gender and so on in pop culture and mm-hmm. whatnot. So it's probably got the word gender in its algorithm somewhere. And but it hasn't quite differentiated yeah. what types of conversations is yeah, going on. And, yeah, 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 yeah. And they do also plug this idea that and I get really frustrated when people talk about this. Oh, it's an echo chamber. You're creating an echo chamber. So, you know, Twitter's just become an echo chamber. You only follow people you agree with, so you only talk to people. That's just life. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I'm not friends with people who don't, you know, whose worldviews or politics or whatever go against mine. Especially if it's in a combative, hateful way. Mm. You know, I'm I'm perfectly content to be friends with someone who votes conservative. I'm not, but <laughs> <laughs> but if somebody is perfectly reasonable and is kind and and so on, and you know, I get on with them, I take people as I find them, and they vote conservative. I think okay, their politics are a bit ropey, but you know, they seem to be a good person. But I certainly would spend my time with somebody who is outwardly transphobic I wouldn't spend my time with somebody who's a misogynist or a homophobe or racist or whatever so cutting people out it's just a part of the way we interact with cutting people out is healthy this is another thing that's the important thing to always keep in mind as well is that it's perfectly healthy and this kind of goes back to also what I was saying about Christmas is, uh, is that pressure to be around very certain types of people in your life that might not necessarily be healthy it might be important for you to cut out family from your life and not be around them so then to have the social pressures of you have to be around these types of people it's just not healthy um it's it's healthy to cut people out from your life that are that make you stressed that make you worried that make you concerned about oh what if I say something that's going to upset them because I say something that is pro-trans? Like, that shouldn't be a thought in Mm. your head. You know Mm. what I mean? You know, I I was talking to some of my students very recently about Scientology's disconnection policy. I'm sorry to bring Scientology up again. But the disconnection policy is a codified practice in Scientology wherein Scientologists are expected to disconnect from friends, family, and so forth who are deemed to be problematic often meaning anti-Scientology. Mm-hmm. And I'm not I'm not a champion of the disconnection policy whatsoever. And I'm very critical of the idea of something like that being codified into a religious system. But what I did say, you know, as a bit of a devil's advocate uh, thing, is how many of us have actually disconnected, so to speak, from people in our lives mm-hmm. who we find to be problematic? I know I certainly have. I've disconnected from several people that I once considered to be friends for various reasons. I've disconnected from family members. So, you know, so is it really a surprise that a Scientologist would want to disconnect from somebody who is outwardly anti-Scientology? Look at it from their perspective. Now, there is another side to the, you know, there is another side to this problem that we won't go into today is the fact that this is codified in Scientology, so it's an expectation for many mm. people, even if they don't want it to be, there is this expectation that you have to disconnect, which obviously is problematic and is another conversation for another time. But if somebody wants to disconnect from somebody, I'm still using that phrase, 
they have every right to do that. Oh gosh, if certain people heard me saying that. <laughs> I I would be accused of being a cult apologist, which I'm not. I'm just taking a critical but stance. I, the thing is, is that life is a bit of an echo chamber. That even just online... <laughs> One of the things that I am always an advocate of is that online echoes the way that life is structured outside of the online environment, because mm. it's just society. It's just society in a different place, and yeah, it absolutely. echoes a lot of the same ideas. And so we we are in we have always been in echo chambers. I mean, that's also part of the issues with class systems, right? Is mm-hmm. if you are incredibly rich, you're going to go to school with other incredibly rich people. You're going to therefore be making friends with other incredibly rich people. You're going to marry someone else who's also incredibly rich because those are the people you're around. And you're not going to suddenly be at school with someone who can't put food on the table. It's just not as likely to happen. And therefore, you're not going to be exposed to these things, which means you're not going to hear about those things. So that way, when you are voting, you're going to be thinking that those things either aren't real or are way away from you or don't actually happen here. Those kinds of conversations. And that's how it's going to be. And it's like that with religions as well, right? Like you, Mm. if you are someone who is evangelical Christian, you're going to hang around a lot of other evangelical Christians. You're going to probably marry another evangelical Christian because their values align with yours, which is not a bad thing necessarily. Like, I want to marry someone whose values align with me. That's how I look for people. That's how everyone's going to look for someone. And so that's just how it's going to end up being in life. And that's, that's not including the internet. So when you then go to hang out with your friends online... Those are the places you're going to go to. And you're going to not want to talk to someone who's talking about trans rights if you don't believe in trans rights, which sucks because obviously people who are pro trans rights want to change those views. But at the same time, I don't want to listen to someone who's transphobic. Yeah. And also, if somebody's going online looking for an argument, you're never going to change their mind. Well, exactly. So that the people who aren't looking for an argument, but are just feeling those ways are probably we're not going to cross paths. Mm. Right. And that's just how it is in in all of life. You know, that's just how it's going to be. When I'm at archery, if I hear I haven't heard anything like this, I should stress. But if I heard anything that was homophobic or transphobic or racist, I just wouldn't talk to that person ever again. If it Mm. was someone high up in the club, I would probably drop out from the club. You know, because I'm and I'm not going to say, well, I dropped out because you guys are that's because that's combative and that's not me. I'm just going to drop out and not be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like when I dropped out of that server. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't want that stuff in my echo chamber. Exactly. And I didn't that's want not to, my echo chamber. That's not my echo chamber. And I don't want to look like I'm in that chamber either. So one of the things that I do want to talk about, which is really fascinating is when I was moving to Hive, um, I had to look up a couple of stuff and Hive Social has a Twitter account and was tweeting things about people moving over and was also tweeting like technical support stuff because people couldn't get onto Hive and so they were tweeting it so that way people could see it. Um, And Twitter at the time, I've noticed that they haven't done it now, but uh, Twitter at the time was blocking all accounts or tweets or conversations that involved hive so i noticed somebody was trying to have a conversation about hive and the it was blocked under like the you know some of these tweets are 
offensive or include offensive material or whatever mm-hmm. and you have to click it and i was like what the fuck is people saying about hive because if it was like somebody being like oh these people are racist then i don't want to go there mm-hmm. so i clicked on it and it was just people talking about hive there wasn't anything offensive about it but the the phrasings that they were picking up on was just talking about hive mm-hmm. i couldn't find i when i went to go um tweet about the fact that i was moving to hive I went to go tag Hive and I couldn't find their account. It hid the account from me. So I couldn't search for them. Wow. Freedom of speech, though. I was, I was just about to say, it sounds like we're in Elon's echo chamber. <laughs> so this whole, and this was all involving this idea of freedom of speech. And I found it so funny. Mm. But during that time, I saw a lot of people calling them out for it. So I think they've changed it. But I think that you still struggle to find the Hive account and stuff like that. But I found yeah. that very entertaining. If you, want, if you want to find out how the political right really feel about freedom of speech, tell them that you don't want to wear a poppy. <laughs> you might want to explain that one to American listeners or other people that aren't in the UK. Oh, yes, yes, good point. Um, a poppy is obviously a flower. Um, but people in the UK will wear a poppy during the first couple of weeks of November every year in remembrance of soldiers who have fallen in war. Um, and as with all these things involving the military, it has been highly politicised, um, mm. particularly in the UK, because the UK is very right-wing. Um, so the poppy is actually about more than remembering the fallen in fact, I'd say for so many people wearing it, it's not about that at all. It's about a glorification of war. And it's about a statement of being right-wing as well, which is one of the reasons why I don't wear a poppy. Um, but you, when you buy a poppy, the donations go to the poppy appeal to support the families of um, soldiers or um, to support soldiers who have perhaps been injured or suffering mental trauma and so forth. And obviously that is very important. But there's other ways of doing that and there's other charities available to support. Well, and also some of the money goes towards companies and organizations that are making um, bombs and other... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so... Just to... I do want to emphasize that as well because yeah. that's another issue with so the, buying the poppy from the poppy appeal. So the poppy is a political signifier and it's it's everywhere just to really stress this it is literally like i think it's a rule on the bbc of during that like during november if you are appearing on the bbc you have to wear a poppy which lately has been a big issue yeah but was not for a while it was um somebody appeared on the graham norton show i think don't quote me recently not wearing a poppy um, because they were Irish. Um, and of course, there's a long history of contention between British forces and Ireland. Um, there's also a um, Twitter account called, funnily enough, Big in this Full Circle, there's a Twitter account called Poppy Watch, which takes a little satirical look at the various places you'll find a poppy in the UK. And um, what you said about the BBC. Mm-hmm. Once the Cookie Monster appeared on the BBC's one show, and they put a poppy on the Cookie Monster, so yep. yeah, everybody's expected to wear one, and it's on newspapers, it's on lampposts, it's on walls, it's on cars. People would put a poppy mm-hmm. on a car. This country loves to remember. It it's remembers. Huge. 
Um, I don't know if I've ever told you about this, but I I don't off I don't always wear a poppy, but when I do, I wear the white one. Yes. I, and I the white poppy is a symbol. It's a pacifistic mm. poppy. So it's a different organization that you buy it from. Mm-hmm. And it's all people who are anti-war. So um, I bought some white poppies a couple of years ago. And I was wearing one because we were, I was teaching at the time and everyone was wearing poppies. And so I, being me, wanted to make a point. So oh, I wore the white poppy. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder why I didn't get a job. Um, so, so I wore the white poppy, and um, I got on the bus to go into the uni, and I had somebody start to talk to me by the fact that I was wearing a white poppy. By me immediately talking, they found out I was American, so they said, "Oh, you shouldn't be wearing any of the poppies and making a stance like that if you're not British." Right. So, talk about politics and identity and that kind of conversation. So, if the idea is remembrance, then why can't an American remember, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not. It's a political statement. Yeah. It's a national statement. It's a nationalist statement. It's a nationalist statement. And the fact that a foreigner was making a nationalist statement against the other yeah. nationalist statement you, you were the was a problem. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it had nothing to do with the fact that I'm personally a pacifist. I'm married to a pacifist. His whole mm. family are pacifists. I married a Quaker. Like, this is mm. just what it is. So it was a big thing. And I, I still wore it the whole November. And I actually had a student come up to me and thank me because she was also a Quaker and was too worried about wearing a white poppy, but refused to wear a poppy but hadn't seen anyone else wearing one, so never did. And I noticed that the next week she showed up to class wearing a white poppy. That's so very cool. I was very proud of myself for that one. Yeah, absolutely. I think I've never worn a white poppy. Um, I'd like to, um, but I've never bought one. And I think I may know that I live in Leeds, but until very recently, I've spent a few years living in a very right-wing town where um, it's not my echo chamber. Uh, <laughs> it it would have felt a little uncomfortable at times to be visibly yeah. making that statement in, in an environment such as that. Uh, I, before we wrap up, I mm-hmm. wouldn't mind spending a little bit of time talking. I know this is going to be a little bit of me on a soapbox rather than, you know, a conversation about this. That, but fine. I think it's I'll really listen. important to talk about, which is around this whole conversation about Twitter is the the thing about freedom of speech. And I want to talk about what freedom of speech actually means and in relation to the way that it is often used. Um, Because it's one of those weird things where freedom of speech is thought of as being able to say what you want without any consequences, which is only partially true. The point of freedom of speech is that historically you would not have been able to say anything against the government or else you'd be thrown in jail. Mm -hmm. So freedom of speech is the fact that you can speak against the government or you could say transphobic things and you are not thrown in jail for it. Mm -hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't consequences to what you say. In fact, there are legal consequences oftentimes. You cannot just say what you want about anybody and not expect legal ramifications. That's why there's things like libel. Mm -hmm. Like, those laws exist um, for a reason. You can't just, a newspaper can't just write that 
Alan is a horrible person and is transphobic, they have to have evidence of that or else Alan could sue the newspaper to say, actually, I'm not transphobic and here's all of the evidence that I've done Mm pro-trans to then support that. And the newspaper would owe Alan money for that because there's consequences to them saying shit that's not true. Mm -hmm. Um, So I did want to stress that. (laughs) this idea of a website needs to have freedom of speech a website does have freedom of speech if you don't get thrown in jail for saying it Mm -hmm. however a website can kick you off of it they have the right to kick you off they have the right to it if you post a comment on our website that this uh, episode is being hosted on if you post a comment under this that is something racist or transphobic I will delete it Mm -hmm. I have no qualms deleting Mm -hmm. it because there are consequences to it and that is our private space that we can therefore control what is said i'm not throwing you in jail over it no no no. (laughs) you have the freedom to say it and i have the freedom to delete it sorry i just i think that it was important to note in this conversation around freedom of speech well that's the problem jk rowling's had isn't it is that you know she's part of this narrative that's being weaved about her being silenced and it's not her being silenced Mm. it's just she's now being held to account if you put a statement into the public domain that is offensive and controversial you will get pushed back on that because other people have the right as well to disagree with you so something that jk rowling needs to remember is that she is when she's posting on twitter she's not at one of her fancy dinner parties with all her rich friends where they can say whatever they want she's in a public space And she is making a statement. She is putting a statement into the public domain. Other people in that domain can speak back. That is not silencing. That is holding to account. That's discord. (laughs) Yep. Oh, dear. So, anyway, sorry to shift the conversation, but just wanted to... It is an important point because this is the crux, really, of Elon Musk's takeover. It, it is. And that's that's one of those things that always drove me nuts about the conversation around Twitter of, oh, but it's freedom of speech. It's like, yeah, and you're able to still tweet from your home. You're not, you're not arrested. You're not on house arrest. You're not being thrown in jail. You're not being executed for what you said. People are just deleting your account and you're being suspended from an online server and you can go on Reddit and say the same shit. Who cares? It's like, actually really difficult to get suspended on Twitter Oh God! before yeah. um, Elon Musk took over. You know, there was so many It wasn't like, exactly the greatest place on the internet, no, let's be, I, let's no, be fair. You know, I, I reported so many tweets that then I just got the feedback of, oh, we looked at it and we deemed that it wasn't offensive. And, you know, they were, they were things that were just absolutely outrageously racist or misogynistic and so forth. Um, so I don't know where this narrative's come from. Well, I do know where this narrative's come from. It's come from the suspension of Trump's account. Mm-hmm. That's where this really hit a boiling point. But the interesting thing about Trump's ban from Twitter was that he got away with so much shit before he eventually got banned anyway. Yeah. So many problematic uh, tweets. You know, it, it was funny that point when they'd started fact-checking his tweets. <laughs> and and those were attached to his tweets. That was quite amusing. Um, but, you know, they really dropped the ball with him for a long time. I think a lot of problematic things that happened in the Trump presidency could have been avoided if he had been suspended on Twitter sooner genuinely think that 
So. <laughs> Fun romp about Twitter. Yeah. Um, well, so I think in about a week or two, Alan and I are going to be recording our finale episode, which is where we're going to be discussing your questions or comments or thoughts yes. on the episodes. So luckily, the benefit of doing this the day before it comes out is that you actually get the genuine heads up of this will be in about a week. So um, (laughs) if you have any thoughts about the show, about some of the topics we've brought up, about maybe your own personal experiences with things. um, I mentioned this before. I will mention it again because I really enjoyed it. Somebody shared their own personal experiences of seeing the Flowbots in concert. I love to hear it. We're going to talk about it for sure. I'm very excited to talk about it. So we're going to talk about that kind of stuff. So, you know, personal experiences with things as well as your own, you know, thoughts and opinions on subjects. Um, If you have any questions about stuff that we've talked about or about us, go ahead and shoot them over. We're going to be doing that in about a week or two. Uh, In fact, as soon as we hang up and stop recording, we're going to be hammering out what date that's going to be. So it should be soon, though. So get those over to us. You can email it at religionpopculturepod at gmail.com. Or you can join the site we've just been talking about. And uh, you can tweet us at rpc underscore pod, which I know has not been tweeting for a while, but that's because I run that account. Um... (laughs) (laughs) And I will try to get better about it and or move it to a different account. But uh, in the meantime, you can tweet us on that account. Alid, if people want to talk to you more generally about things, where can they go? Well, guess what? They can go to Twitter. (laughs) It is genuinely the best place to contact me. Um, AdalidJLLThomas. And you... That's fine. And you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or now Hive. I am at Viviana Simos on all three accounts. Um, and I would provide my Mastodon, but I don't really remember what the server name is. And I'm not using it. Let's just be honest. And the search function isn't great either. But if you can manage to find me, you can follow me on there as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can also check out my website, incidentalmythology.com. Um... Yeah, I think that's everything. Alan, how you feeling? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Uh, thanks for chatting with me about Twitter. Yes, thanks for indulging in my rants too. It felt <laughs> cathartic, you know? Nice. It was nice. Yeah. Bye. Bye, lovely listeners. Bye.